0: Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us again today as we are continuing in this study with Warren Litzman on the cross. It just gets better and better. And today, it's really going to be good, just like all the others. Today, we're going into part number 11. Let's listen now as Warren Litzman comes in and the cross.
1: When I look at the cross... I see two of the devastating words in our language taking place. I see loneliness, and I see hopelessness. What a lonely place that is for Christ. What a lonely place it is to hang on a tree at Golgotha. Lonely. Something he must do because he consented to do it before time started. But he was all man as well as all God. His mind had to start as a little baby. Knew nothing. The babe in Mary's arms was supernatural, and its knowledge came supernaturally, but it started out at zero, just like any other baby. He was like any other human being. And so he had to grow in that knowledge. Well, we knew by the time he reached 12, he had greater knowledge than the chief priest in the temple. So it was a miraculous thing. But he started at zero and and his knowledge accumulated and grew. But he was very lonely. We'll see it when we hear some of his words later. How lonely he was. How his eternal life had sifted down to the few moments of hurt and pain that he now suffered. Loneliness has nothing to do with crowds or the absence of people. Loneliness is a mind state. It's the way you think about it. Humans are very funny at this point. When the world is revolving around them at great speed, they say, oh, I wish I could get alone and just have a few minutes to myself. But then when you finally get there and have a few minutes to yourself and it's prolonged and goes a little longer than you wanted, you wish to God that you had some people and some fellowship and so forth. I see that loneliness But more so I see the hopelessness. What a hopeless situation this is. He's put there at the hands of Rome. Their hands, the hands of Romans have beat his back and nailed him on a cross. Romans did that. But the Jews put him there By a vote. They voted politically to put him there. But worse than that, I put him there. I put him there on the cross. I had to do with that. And now when I look at him, When I stand on Golgotha and look at Jesus, I think of the hopelessness of everything. I'm not yet thinking about resurrection. I'm not yet thinking about ascension, all of which comes out of this. That's reserved for another message. But I look at him and see the hopelessness If I'm to save myself and rule over the devil and rule over sin, I'm going to have to have strength and power. I don't see that in him. I see a lamb killed. A lamb killed. But I see more so that we don't control our relationship with God. You don't control it. God leads you. He brings you to a certain point. He expects you to do something with it. Many times we fail. Sometimes grace brings us back to that point. We fail again and grace will bring us back. But finally the scripture says the day comes when God doesn't bring us back to a certain point. That may be so for some of you in this conference. Because this conference is a place where God brings people to a certain point in your life. you've you've reached a certain uh, stage where uh, you don't know what to do, which way to turn, how to handle things, you're confused, you're frustrated. That's what this conference is all about. It is God bringing you to a certain point. And how you handle that point may be the most important thing in your life. This may be the most important moment you have. In fact, some of you may never come back to this moment again. I pray by God's grace you do. But some may never come back to this point again. When you look at the cross, you're overwhelmed with hopelessness. What can I do? What is it I must do? Now, with him hanging on a cross, all humanity can do is to believe what he said. You have to believe what he said. You could do nothing. Your first reaction about Jesus on the cross is, boy, if I could, I'd get him off that cross. I'd bring him down off that cross. I'd bathe those wounds before he died, and I'd pray to God to heal him like he healed everybody else and get Jesus out of this mess. It isn't worth it. But you see, you can't do that. It's a hopeless situation. You've got to let it be just like it is. What does this hopeless situation at the cross tell us? It tells us that God does not need anything from us to deal with sin. He's put it all on Christ. He's put it all in Christ. And Christ is going to die with it. And he's fixed us in grace so that all we have to do is believe that Jesus died for our sins. That's it. That's all we have to do is believe that he died for our sins. I stand at Golgotha, I look around and I see a little crowd there. It's strange because if I had been a Jerusalemite, I would have probably known by the newspaper how many people went out on the hillside and witnessed crucifixion because that was a big deal. Everybody liked to go see somebody dead are killed. That was their main sport in those days. So we look around today and sad to say there's not a big crowd there. I've often wondered why there wasn't a big crowd there. He he had uh, 5,000 men in one crowd. He preached to the multitudes time and time again. And you would think, that there would be enough interest for a big crowd to gather there on Golgotha and see what was going on. There's just a little group there, as far as the scriptures are concerned. Just a little group. Now I turn and I look at that group standing there. And the most predominant person in that group is a little woman named Mary. She's there. Strange as it may seem, she's come to the cross to see her son killed. There must be great heartbreak on the part of Mary. But Mary is there. You know, the family relationship of Jesus of Nazareth was very strange. It's very strange. It started out with him having a mother, but God was his father. Hardly anybody believed that. That was far out. Made it rough on Mary's husband because he had to claim and raise Jesus and he knew he didn't have anything to do with it. So the family situation was very strange. Mary had four other sons. They're all named in the scriptures. And it says daughters, two. So he had, they had at least two daughters in the family, maybe more, but it just says daughters, plural. So there were at least six children in the family, but not a one of them was at the cross. In fact, his family didn't like him. In fact, his family tried to get him killed. And when they couldn't do that, they tried to get the government to incarcerate him as a wild man. Isn't that strange? What a family. Some of you having family problems cheer up. But here stood Mary. Finally, Jesus looked down at her. He said, woman, behold your son. Now, I've read two or three things that Catholics have to say about that statement. They're a little bewildered about it. But once Jesus began his ministry... Every time he addressed Mary, which is four or five times in the scripture, he called her a woman. You know why he called her a woman? Because he would die for all women and would not allow Mary to be something special. That's where Rome kind of got off base because the scriptures to me are very clear on that point about Mary. And so he looks down from the cross and he says, woman, behold your son. It is the elder son in the family that's responsible for the rest of the family, especially the mother, if the father dies. We assume that Joseph died probably sometime before Jesus began his public ministry. He has never spoken of it again. So Joseph is dead. And in the last thoughts of Jesus, he has in his mind his mother. It's his responsibility. But it is obvious hanging on the cross, he cannot take that responsibility. So he says... To his beloved John, John the beloved, the only apostle that showed up at the cross. He says, John, will you take care of my mother? And John did. At some point, John took her away from the Holy Land, took her over to Ephesus and I was at Ephesus one time in the place where Mary lived. I tell you it was no bigger than a closet. It was a very small little room. And there's where she died, so they claim. John took care of her. But John just lived on and on, because he lived on many, many years after that and wrote his epistle, gospel, and the book of Revelation. But I see Mary standing there. You wonder what goes through her mind. Because she still has these other children. And at that point, we believe those other children still didn't like Jesus. Now a couple of them were to come into the kingdom message. And one of them was to be the leader of the kingdom message. James. But it's a very strange thing when we look at his family. It is a fact that the born again constitute a new family of God. I have seen, since I have preached the Christ life, more than I ever did. Before, with And I had many family groups and churches. We call our church a church family and so forth. But I have seen a camaraderie and a fellowship among people in the Christ life that beats anything I'd ever known before. Amen. Not that we're not human, but there's something about the fact when you get a large group of people together who have Christ in them, that all of a sudden you form a fellowship with them based on that Christ in them. Still, with the nagging thought, well, they may bite my head off one day, they may get mad at me, they may gossip on me, they may do this or that to me, but I have a relationship with them that's much deeper just because I recognize Christ is in them. Actually, we should do that to everybody. If they don't return that to us, To every Christian, we should see Christ in them. To people in the kingdom message, we should see Christ in them because whether they acknowledge it or not, he's there. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit came. He put Christ in them. And we should recognize that and acknowledge that. So I see John, John the Beloved. He's in the group. He was a soft-hearted fellow. He wanted always to be near Jesus and I'm sure no more tears were shed at Calvary than the Apostle John shed. He was that touched and that close to Jesus. There's a few others there and some of them may be followers but none of them are notable. Not a one of them would have their name put in the historical record. So as I look around the cross, I'm bewildered. Sure, his mother would be there. Yeah, John the Beloved would be there. But where's Bartimaeus? Where's old Legion, the wild man of Gadara? Where's the woman with the issue of blood? Are they too far away? People traveled that day to get to Jerusalem, pay taxes under any conditions, Where's all his loved ones? Where's Mary and Joseph, Lazarus? You look around and you hear all these wonderful stories that have taken place. Where are any of the people in them? You see, the cross meant only death. It didn't have that deep meaning that the plan of God is attached to the death of this lamb. Well, Jesus had tried to talk about it, but nobody would listen. But to this day, woefully lacking in the gospel of the kingdom is the deep root of the cross in their message. Oh, did the people really love him? Yep. Did they really care that he was able to perform these miracles and set them free and heal them and give them what he did? Yep, they liked that. But you know, nothing had been done really in them inside. That wasn't his message. He could not change the prophecies that said you will never have an inner relationship with me until you accept me as Messiah. So there was a limit. He couldn't expect Bartimaeus to be there to love him he didn't have that kind of thing happening in him he didn't have that miracle of the new birth he wasn't born again look at the record take all of those people they loved him they wanted him to do something for them but they weren't there they had gotten a blessing but they hadn't gotten a change And as I've told you before, that was one of the biggest things that bent me toward this message many, many years ago. It was that in the healing ministry, people would gladly take anything they could get from God, but would not give their lives to it. I will remember a man I prayed for one time who jumped out of a wheelchair and claimed that he was healed, ran all over the place. But you know what? I couldn't get him back to the next service. Nothing happened inside. There were a bunch of sightseers there. You look around and you see all these sightseers. Why in the world would anybody want to go out to a hillside to see people screaming and hollering in their death because their death always came from holes in their body by which the blood flowed out. That must have stimulated people. But then I got to thinking the other day, why do people like to watch boxing matches? See? Would you want to watch a boxing match? They didn't knock that guy out knock his brains out, make his nose bleed or something? Why would people want to go to, I don't know if you do this here or not, but in America, the biggest attraction we have are automobile races. We'll easily have a half million people out to an automobile race. Why in the world would people want to go to an automobile race and spend four to six hours watching cars drive around in a circle unless they were anticipating a wreck? right why else would you be there I can go out here on the freeway and watch cars go back and forth (laughs) some of them even go fast why would you do that it's the stimulation that they may have a pile up of cars maybe ten cars would pile up two or three people get killed why are they there on the hillside That's a stimulating thing. We're going to see blood. They're going to holler. They're going to die. And I'm sure some of them said, well, I stayed there, but they just didn't die quick enough. (laughs) Another fellow said, well, I stayed there longer, and boy, you should have been there at the moment he died. Sightseers, these are the folks that, come out every time the newspapers say there's going to be a event out on Golgotha. The sightseers. I look around there's somebody else there. There's a bunch of preachers. They're not very close. But they're off in a distance because this is their thing. This is their big thing. They've gotten rid of this fellow who preached heresy. They finally stood up in their holy rites until Rome listened to them. little group of preachers over here. They come to make sure he died. They're going to preach that for years after that. Then, folks, I was there one day when this fellow who tried to upset Judaism, he tried to tell us that there was another way to live other than the way Moses said. And I saw that guy get killed. He'll be an illustration. All these preachers will talk about it. But to finish it up, there's a little handful of soldiers, maybe two or three, don't know but there were Roman soldiers there they're different than all the rest of this group they're the kind of people who like Pilate didn't care we don't care this is our job we got a job of killing people so we get paid for it but there were soldiers there who were different And they probably had heard some good things about this man and couldn't figure why he was there. But as I stand at Calvary, I see this little group of people. They're all looking up at a body to be dead in just a few hours. He'll die. That's what I see. It's time to take our tea break, and when we come back, I'm going to tell you what
0: Jesus saw at Golgotha. Well, sadly, we have to stop here, but don't worry. We will pick up right where we left this time next week, so be sure and tune in to hear Warren Litzman and more of his amazing study on on the cross. Be sure and visit our website, christ-life.org. Read all about us and be sure and go to that bookstore and look at some of the material Warren left behind that you can have in your own home. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these special broadcast. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.